0: Good morning. Good morning. Man, you guys are awesome. Yep. We got a polar bear club because you guys came out in negative eight degrees. I love you guys. You, you make my job easy. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. And today I want to just take some time to just point you to the word of God. Listen, there's a lot of different things that we go through week in, week out, and those things point us to so many other things. Some things point us to worry, some things point us to different responsibilities, different cares, um, and all those things, listen, there's nothing wrong with life and the responsibilities and things that we, that we, we, we uh, are, are tied to. There's nothing wrong with that, but what I encourage you with is today, that as you are here and you're hearing the Word of God, not my opinion, the Word of God, that you would take that time to open your heart and your mind to receive what the Word of God says because it's the Word of God that changes our lives. Listen, it's the Word of God. The Bible says that the, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know what scripture is saying there? That everything that you're supposed to experience according to your salvation, you'll discover it according to the Word. And so today, we have the privilege to hear God's Word. And last week, we started a new series entitled, All Things New. And we commenced Uh, by being introduced to one simple truth. There was one simple truth. That God came to do a new thing through Jesus. Say that with me. God came came to do a new thing thing in my life life through Jesus. Jesus. Listen, God did not send Jesus Christ to do something old in your life, to point you back to the old. I grew up in one of those churches where I got jacked up, where every week they pointed us to our past. They told us how, how bad we were as sinners. They told us how, you know, how we were going to hell, and the truth of the matter is this, that if that was the case then, then what Jesus did wasn't enough, and so today, I want to build upon where we were last week, because last week, we learned one simple point. We, revol- we, 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 we centered ourselves around one main point upon this revelation that it challenges us to consider that in order to step into the new, we have to step out of the old. Amen. How many of you know that 2017 is gone, yep. Right? Do you know why none of you? Well, let me not quite say that because some of you do still wear shorts in the winter, but 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 listen. No, but listen. But listen. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. None of us wear. None of us operate out of season, right? That's not how we're built, right? We we we, we operate in seasons in life right? We go through different seasons, and when one season is done, we move into the next one. But in order to move into the next season in life, in order to move into the next season of what God is revealing to you according to his word, in order to grow, it it requires us stepping out of the old so that we can step into the new. And so today, I want to point your attention real quick as we get started here to a foundational scripture that we looked at last week. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Notice what it says. It says, for Christ's Love compels us. Now, mind you, that's not an a, a emotional kind of love. That's not a touchy-feely kind of love. That's the love by which God sent His Son into all the world to forgive all sin, to deal with the issue of sin, and to not condemn people, but instead to draw them to a a reality that now we can relate to God according to what Jesus has done. And so that love, Christ's love, it compels us. In other words, it draws us out. It causes something in our lives. It causes movement, and by the way, that's forward movement. That's expansion. That's not staying where we're at. The love of God compels us. And so it says, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And that's not just us in here, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. That's everybody. So uh, we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Watch the kicker here. It says, therefore, in other words, in light of what God is saying here, if anyone is in Christ, is there anyone here today in Christ? Anyone here? got about five of you, right? Anyone. You can raise your hand if you're in Christ. That's all right, right? If anyone is in Christ, listen to what God says. Not what I say, what God says. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Listen closely to to what the original language is saying there. A new species of being, something you've never seen, something you've never experienced, a place you've never been, opportunities you've never uh, had before you. It says, The new creation, all that you now are in Christ, is come. It's come. The old has gone. Some of us need to hear that. The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here. As we continue down the path of this subject for the next couple of weeks, my goal here is simply to point you and equip you according to the word with the tools that are necessary for you to embrace a new life in Christ. And it's a new life that doesn't grow old, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing that, that fades away about the new life that's yours in Christ. But the truth is that we have to come to understand what this new life is. And so... Week after week, we're going to build precept upon precept, line upon line, as the book of Isaiah says. And we're going to continue to grow in an understanding of what it takes, according to Scripture, to live this new life. And one foundation of truth that is important for all of us in order to w- embrace and walk in this new life in Christ is that our position has changed. Our position has changed. Some of you, you're not getting that right now. Let me give you an example uh, from a story, and then I, I want to point you back to the Word. Fred Craddock is a lecturer, was a lecturer at the Phillips Theological Seminary here in the United States. And he told of a time when he was on vacation in Tennessee. He and his wife were having dinner at a restaurant uh, when an old man started talking to them. The thing is, this guy didn't stop talking. He just kept talking and talking and talking. And he started asking them how they were doing and if they were enjoying their vacation. And when the old man asked Fred what he did for a living, Fred saw a chance to get rid of him. He said, I'm a preacher. (laughs) A preacher? That's great. Let me tell you a story about a a preacher. And so the old man sat down at their table, squeezed in and snuggled next to them, and he started to speak. And as he did, Fred's annoyance was changed to one of profound humility. You see, the old man explained that he was born without knowing who his father ever was a source of great shame in a small town in the early 20th century. And so one day, a new preacher came to the local church, and the old man explained that as a youngster, he had never gone to church. But one Sunday, he decided to go along and hear the new pastor preach. He was good. The illegitimate boy went back again and then again and again, week after week. And in fact, he started attending just about every week. But his shame always went with him. This poor little boy would always arrive late and leave early in order to avoid talking to anyone. I'm sorry, so, but one, one Sunday he got so caught up in the sermon that he forgot to leave. And before he knew it, the service was over and the aisles were filling up. He rushed to get past people and out the door, but as he did, he felt a heavy hand land upon his shoulder. And and as he turned around, he saw the preacher, the new preacher, a big tall man looking down and asking him, what's your name, son? Whose son are you? The little boy at that very moment died inside. He fretted. The very thing he wanted to avoid was now here. But before he could say anything, the the preacher said, I know who you are. I know who your family is. There's a distinct resemblance about you. Why, you're the son. You're, the, you're that great father's son. You're God's son. That old man sitting at Fred Craddock's table said, You know, mister, those words changed my life. And with that, he got up and left. When the, wen- when the waitress came over, she said to Fred Craddock and his wife, Do you know who that was? And they said, No, we, we have no idea. She said, that was Ben Hooper, the two-time governor of Tennessee. See, it's when you are completely aware and understand your position and your stance as a child of God that your conditions change. See, uh, today's big idea is a simple one. Your position has changed and your position changes your conditions. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. You are a child of God. You are different. The scriptures put it this way. You're a new creation. You're something you've never been. And because you are a new creation, your conditions and the things that swirl around you and happen in life are subject to your position. But if you are not completely renewed in your understanding, if you're not walking in a belief and in a faith that you are right with God, that you're accepted by God, that you're loved by God, that you're healed by God, that you're empowered by God, that you are are called to do great things by God, and that you are created to be all that God desires in Christ. If you can't accept that, if you struggle with that, then guess what? You'll want the new, but you'll settle for the old every time because you can't accept what it is to be a new creation and walk in that new life. See, you can't over... Let me give you an example of what I mean. You can't overcome anger while holding on to offense. You know why? Because you're still in the same position. You, 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 you can't get over hurt while holding on to pain because you're still in the same position. You, you, you can't uh, move past the past into the new things that God has, has predestinated you according to scripture if you're holding on to condemning thoughts. Why? Because you're still thinking the same. You're still in the same position. And what we need to realize is that our position has changed as as children of God. Scripture puts it this way. It says that you are now seated. We are now seated. We are all seated as children of God at the right hand of the Father. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so while we live on this earth, Scripture says you're in this world, but you're not of it. Why? Because You you might physically be here, but who you are as a new creation is directly tied to the one that you are now one with, and that's Jesus. That's God. And so once once our position changes and we understand that our position has changed, we can experience life in a different way. Let me give you what Scripture says. I don't want to give you my opinion here. John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 puts it this way. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, listen closely, born not of natural descent. That's an important point there. In other words, who you are has nothing to do with the natural circumstances and the experiences that you've had. Oh, I know what we've been taught. Oh, you're made up of your experiences. No, you experience those things, but who you are in Christ is contingent upon you understanding who he is, and what he's done in you. That changes everything. It changes everything. And so it goes on to say, verse 13, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. How many of you know that whose child you are makes a big difference in your life? Whose child you are makes a big difference in your life. Let me give you an example. That I have two children. Well, they're not really children. They're adults. I have a 23-year-old and my daughter's about to, 22-year-old and I have a daughter who's about to turn 24. Um, I know, right? I look good for a parent with children that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. New me. New me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so humbled by that. No, let me stop. Let me stop. (laughs) Um, But my children, um, they enjoy the blessings that are mine, right? Till this day, right? Now, they both work. But every now and then, I get one of these. Um, see, so what, ha- what had happened was, <laughs> and the way my bank account is set up right about now, you know, and, and so, um, so, yeah, I, I need a little gas money. And guess what? They enjoy the blessings that are mine. They have access to all that is mine. They are inheritors of the blessing that's upon me. And everything that's mine will eventually go to them as well. And according to scripture, because this is what scripture says, not only will it be a blessing to them, but it will be a blessing to their children's children. And so they're, they're inheritors of all that's mine. And so whose child you are makes a big difference. And as God's child, your standing has changed and what is has changed where you now stand. And what is now yours has changed as well. Listen, while you're here on earth identified by your government name, the truth is that in the grand scheme of all creation and what God has done in Christ, you are now identified by your birthright as a child of God. And because you are a child of God, listen, listen, whatever applied to Jesus applies to you. That's why scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. And so you need to understand, we need to accept the the reality that we are now identified as children of God and our position has changed. I love the way Romans 8 uh, says it, and I know we didn't put it up, but it says that we are co-heirs with Christ and that we are uh, uh, joint heirs. And so what I want you to see is that you enjoy the same benefits that Christ does because you're now one with him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 puts it this way. It says, God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. I want you to see something, that according to Scripture, you've been pulled out of one kingdom and placed in another. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go from being a pauper in the kingdom to a prince, guess what? My stance changed. My benefits changed. Everything about my life has changed. How I live life has changed. How people respond to me has changed. How I respond to people has changed. Not to say that we act better, but what I'm saying is that as children of God, we are now royalty. The Bible says that we're a chosen people, a holy priesthood, a a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. And so who you are is not contingent upon your conditions. I love what the scripture says here it's about rescuing, that God rescued us. In the original language, in the original text, here's what it's talking about. It's talking about delivering up one unto oneself. And so here's, here's literally, get, get a picture of this. Somebody's drowning, right, or somebody fell and broke their leg. And here you come, and what you do is you extend yourself, and you go to their level, and you help them so that you can bring them back up to their rightful place. And so that's what God has done in Christ for all humanity. The problem is not all people know how good this news is. They're still being taught that you have to relate to God according to your behavior, according to how you dress, according to how many shimmies you get, and whatever all that spiritual hula hoops that we've been taught to do. It's not about that. It's about what Jesus has done, not what we do. And so what I want you to begin to see is that God has elevated you and if you don't know Christ today, then here's the invitation. Here's the message you need to hear, that God's not satisfied with you being where you are. He's got something better for you. He's got something better for you. You don't have to settle for your hang-ups. You don't have to settle for your past. You don't have to live with the condemnation of others. You don't have to keep beating yourself up according to your own understanding. You, the Bible says that he who the son sets free is free indeed. And that's what God is calling us to in Christ is freedom. It's not just freedom from our conditions, but it's freedom from everything that keeps us from experiencing all that God gave Jesus for. God is not content with you and I certainly for less than Jesus is best. He's not. He's not. And so 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 puts it this way. Again, I'm reading from the Message Bible. It says everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately, the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. See, there's a difference between those that sit in the stands and those that are on the field of life with Christ. Listen, those understands, let's be honest, some of us, you watch football, right? Or you watch sports, and here's what you do. You watch the game, and you act like you won the Super Bowl. The problem is you ain't getting that check that goes along with that win, right? And so you're talking about, that's my team, I'm dying hard. This and you, you're not on the field. You're not taking that hit. And you ain't trying to either, because you ain't crazy. But, but here's my point. Let, 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 me, let me get back to this bad pastor get back to this. My point is this, that those who observe the game from the outside, those who watch from the stands, they witness the victories, while those on the field are the ones that participate in the victories. And what I want you to begin to see is that what we're seeing here is that your ticket in life is Christ and you now have the blessing, the ability, the opportunity to participate in the new life that God affords you and I. Jesus is the ticket and all you gotta do is hold on to that ticket and cash it in. Amen. Get involved in the blessing of God. It's as we know him and we know the promises that he's passed on to us. As we begin to grow in an understanding of that, it changes the way we see life. And it, it affirms to us our position in our standing with God. You'll go from a place where people will say something to hurt you and you get all depressed and live in a mess and you're all stressed. And all of a sudden, now you start getting a hold of the word of God and you'll be going, whoa, whoa. whoa. I I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you what God says about me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm blessed. I'm favored. I'm loved by God. So what you say, you can say it, but it don't matter to me because I'm loved by God, and that's all that matters. That's right. That's right. I'm completely deviating from my sermon at this point, so I'm not planning this. But let me just let me just say this to you. You know, the sad reality is that too many people today, too many believers. Listen closely. And, and if the shoe fits, change it. Don't wear it. Change it. But, but, but get, get, get this. There are too many people today that are children of God that are living life as if we're stuck in the old. And what we're doing is we're settling for the old. Let me, let me prove it to you. We get offended too easily. But, you, but they said, and you know, and they did this and they did that. Let me give you an exercise that will help you in life, in your new life with Christ. The next time you go to a funeral, let me ju- let's just put this a disclaimer. This is still recording, right? I just, I just want to make sure. If you do this, Church at the Bridge is not liable, right? And we are not responsible for your own actions. Right? Neither is Pastor Jose. You did this of your own volition. The next time you go to a funeral, walk up to that casket and slap the body. I'm, I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you that. Some of you are really thinking about doing that. Don't, don't do that. I'm just using this as an example. But I want you to think about something. You walk up to a dead body and you slap it. Will that, will that dead body respond? Will it get up and slap you back? You know why? Because it's dead. Now, let me, let me take you back to scripture. Paul puts it this way. He says, it is no longer I that live. If you're in Christ, then guess what? The one that lives through you according to what the scriptures say is it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so what I want you to begin to see is that what we call our lives, many times what we're equating it to is our feelings, our emotions, our past, our experience, our own understanding, independent of truth from God's Word. And we live at the expense of not letting the new life in Christ live in and through us. We got to get past that. Yes, amen. You're called to a new life. Amen. You're called to greater things. Yeah. But it's when we align ourselves with this life in Christ, when we understand what our life really is now in Christ. Listen, you can get past addiction. You can get past hangups. You can get past hurt. You can get past divorce. You can, ba- you can get past broken relationships. You can get past abuses in the church. You can get past that pastor that, that, that belittled you in front of people. You can get past all that. Yeah. You can live free. We can, but the thing is this, it takes stepping out of the old and embracing the new life that's ours in Christ. And when we do that, guess what we do? We position ourselves to live life differently, to truly be the light of the world, to truly be a, a participator in the promises of God. See, there's a couple of things that we need to remember about our position. Your position has nothing to do with your experience. Listen closely. But it does change how you can experience life. It changes how you can experience life. It changes it. Listen. I, I, yesterday, we were out. He, we came over to the building. My wife wanted to do something with decorations. And there was a little ice out there and there was some snow. In it, and I'm out there. I'm just shoveling this, you know, breaking up the ice and all that on some salt. And as I'm doing so, um, about four people walk by me. And if if you just look, you know, at how you know how they were carrying themselves and all that, you would the the, the common person here in this region would say, Oh, don't talk to that person. Yeah. And every one of them passed up, What's up, brother? Good morning. And I'm like, Hey man, what's going on? And I just stopped doing what I was doing, with my shovel, and we we chatting and this and that and I start reflecting upon something. And I realized that there's two stories being told in this region. There's the story that says we can't, we won't, it's too hard, uh, it's all messed up, you can't trust people. And then there's another story, and it's the true story. It's the story that God is in this place, that there is hope for this city and this community, that there's change right here. Why? Because we come in and we come out and we live and we breathe and we exist amongst these people. And so what I'm saying to you is, and I actually posted something on Instagram just because I had one of those moments. I was practically about to cry. But I was just like, man, we are here and we believe God's promises and we believe God's best. And listen, what we're doing here right now, all we're doing is practicing because some of you are going to go to Beacon. Some of you are going to go to Fishkill. Some of you are going to go to Walden. Some of you are going to go to Middletown. Some of you are going to go Pine Bush. One of you is going all the way to Nanuet. Whatever. Wherever you're going, you're taking what you're learning and what you're experiencing and what you're practicing here and you're changing lives and communities. But listen, that's part of the new life experience. It's seeing it differently. It's aligning ourselves with our position in Christ. And so your position has nothing to do with your experience. Your position has nothing to do with the old tale, with the old story. It has everything to do with the new story, the one revealed by God's word. I'll tell you something else your position is unchanging. Let me give you an example of that. As children of God, as a child of God, new creation, your position does not start from a small place and gradually grow. Let me give you an example of that. I want you to think, a bit, uh, think of this from, the, from the, the standpoint of sonship. A son, whether he's 90 or he's one day old, does not, it, no matter his age, his, son, his position as a son doesn't change. It doesn't change. In the same way your position as a child of God is complete. And it's perfected because it's Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. That's what scripture says. And so what I want you to see is that while you may just be learning some new things, just understand that this mind is beginning to catch up with what's already been done in you. And so your position doesn't change. That's why we all operate according to the same measure of faith is what scripture says. We've all got the same portion the thing is, how to, to the extent that we understand how much we've received, we can experience it. that makes sense? Great yes. Great There's something else to consider. Your position is in no way related to your human merit or effort. You now stand in the unchanging identity and merit of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus in you. And you are accepted now and forever in the beloved, is what scripture says. You are acceptable to God. You are right with God. I know you've been told, oh, you're a, sin- you're, you're a uh, uh, what is it, what's that religious term, a, a sinner saved by grace? No, you were a sinner. Colossians says that he dealt with sin, he did away with it, and you are now right with God. And so you are righteous. Listen, you are righteous, and being righteous has nothing to do with acting righteous, because if it did, then guess what, you wouldn't need Jesus. All you need to do is just act righteous. Make sense? And so you are now positioned according to what God has done in Christ. And lastly, your position is made known to you. You come to understand it by divine revelation. The experience of our new life in Christ defies the imagination. I want you to think about this. It has nothing to do with anything we we can conjure up in our own understanding. It has nothing to do with how we think God works in us. It has everything to do with what the Word of God reveals and how we can experience that as a reality. It's according to what Scripture reveals by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so our position is made known to us as we know Jesus. The more you see Jesus, the more you know the Word of God, the more you take a hold of the promises that it all declares already for you. To that extent, you'll walk in your position in Christ. That makes sense? And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to point you to the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph was a man who experienced many ups and downs in life, but the one constant that kept him, protected him, and lifted him up in the midst of his conditions was his position and his understanding of his standing in God's eyes. Let's read Genesis chapter 37 as we're introduced to Joseph. His father is a man named Jacob who was later, who's also referred to as Israel. And in Genesis 37 verse 1, it says that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Let me just pause right there real quick. The original text reveals that it was a robe of many colors. You're going to see why that's important in a second. Verse 4, And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood right upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 9, then he had another dream and he, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so I want you to begin to consider what's happening here. From the onset, we find that Joseph enjoyed a special kind of favor above his brothers. As a matter of fact, the scriptures reveal to us that his father gave him a robe, put a robe on him, that identified him, not just to his brothers, but to everyone around them. It was an announcement that said, this son of mine is truly loved. He is my favored one. He has all my blessing. He has an inheritance and he enjoys all that is mine now. And so his brothers, the Bible tells us, they hated him. They envied him. So much so, and we're not going to dig into the whole story, so much so that these brothers of his, come to a point where they plot to kill him. They literally say, I got a great idea. Let's off this dude. Let's get rid of him. That way we don't have to deal with the embarrassment that we, we, we've bought into with the lies that tell us that we're not important, that we, we don't have to see him anymore. And so his brothers come up with this idea. Now, in case you're struggling to see how this relates to you, because some of us might say, well, you know, that's Joseph. That's Joseph's story. I want you to consider what God says about you in Isaiah 61.10. Watch what it says. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And he has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now ladies, you might remember your wedding day. And gentlemen, you might remember yours. And if, and if you're like most people, on that day, you put on your very best. You dress to impress, right? You want her to know. You want him to know, I am yours and I'm giving you my best. I'm giving you my all. I want you to begin to see what Scripture is relating what God has done unto you and I. It says that he has robed us. He's clothed us with salvation. And he's put on a robe upon us that declares that we are what? Righteous. Whoa. So, lest you somehow believe the lie, you don't qualify, that's not what God says. God says, I robe you with righteousness. I clothe you with my best. As a bridegroom puts on a crown to announce to everyone, this is the, day, this is the best day of my life and I'm looking forward to marrying this woman. As a wife, a bride puts on her dress and she adorns herself to her very best. That's how God has clothed you in Christ. And so you see, Joseph's story is your story. It's my story. It's our story. So wherever you hear Joseph, despite the challenges, what I want you to begin to see is that the favor that was upon Joseph, the blessing that was upon Joseph, the position and the stance that he held in God's eyes, that's you. Insert your name there. I did. As a matter of fact, listen, this, there's nothing sacrilegious about you crossing out Joseph's name in your Bible and put yours there. It's your story. It's my story. It's our story. That's god's will that's god's desire so you also wear a robe god loves you and everything about the new you announces that you're favored you're provided for and you're destined for great things you don't have to settle anymore but unfortunately the great favor that joseph enjoyed became a source of hate and envy for his brothers to the point that they decide we're killing this guy genesis 37 verses 19 through 20 reveal to us what happens when joseph one day is by his father to go check on his brothers and on the flocks and to bring him back word of how everything's going. And the Bible says in Genesis 37, uh, verse 19 that when his brothers see him, they say here comes that dream. Come now. Let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns. Listen, they wanted to throw him into a pot. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I want to point one other thing out to you. That the dreams that Joseph had were from God. They revealed a good plan. They revealed good purposes. And Joseph embraced those dreams. Can I just pause right here for a moment? Completely unplanned. Listen, you need to embrace the dream that God has for your life. You need to embrace the healing. You need to embrace the promises. You need to embrace all that God has done for you in Christ. And so, according to what we see so far up to this point, Joseph is stepping into a really bad situation. But in the midst of it, watch what happens in the story. And I encourage you, go read it for yourself, because I can't read everything at once, all in in, in one sitting. Joseph is stepping into a bad uh, situation, but in the midst of it, he finds favor in the eyes of the very people that are plotting to kill him two of his brothers come into agreement and they say let's not kill him let's 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 sell him to these midianite traders that are coming by right now and so instead of killing him they sell him to some midianite merchants and these guys take him to Egypt and they end up auctioning him off to a man named Potiphar who happens to be an Egyptian official a high-ranking Egyptian official the bible says that he was the captain of the guard this guy was the captain of all the 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 the, the, the personal uh uh, people that, that protected and served the king and all the armies and the police, so to speak. And so while the favor of his father was afar off, as we're going to see in the rest of the story, the favor of God remained present and active in his life. And so instead of killing him, he ends up in Egypt, a slave. Now at face value, we could all see that at face value and go, man, he's at an all-time low. But let's see the reality of what his predicament really was. Genesis 39 verses 2 through 6 says that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Listen closely. While a slave, Joseph couldn't help but prosper. Watch why. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant, his second in command. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. You know what the Bible was saying there? It wasn't just in his home. It was everywhere that Potiphar went. Blessing was upon him. Why? Because a blessed one that was in his right position, understanding who he was with God, in God, was walking in that. And so, watch. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Consider this point. Your position in standing in God's eyes as one loved, favored, and blessed by God can change the worst conditions into the best one. Listen, I get it. There's curveballs in life. I get it. People fail. I get it. People hurt us. I get it. Things get hard at times, but that doesn't change who you are in Christ. And the, the sooner and the quicker we become acquainted with who we are in Christ, the sooner we'll see our conditions change. Amen. Listen, every day that you walk into that job, that people drive you nuts, you walk in there and recognize this, Amen. you are the blessing of God there. Amen. You are the blessing of God there. Listen, when you go home and your kids who don't want to come to church and your family who rejects you and the people who tear you down and the community you go to where people ridicule each other and tear each other down whatever whatever that condition is you go there and you recognize that because you're blessed as you walk in your position in Christ and confidently in that the circumstances the conditions around you have to change they have to change Joseph was a slave and while a slave the very one that kept him as a slave became blessed because of Joseph. Amen. How's that for the favor of God? Amen. How's that? Don't tell me you, you can find yourself in a bad condition and somehow believe that you can't make it. Oh, yeah. And this is the truth. When we stepped into this building, prior to coming into this building, and I, I don't think I've ever said this. Well, I said it first service, but I don't think I've ever revealed this, but I will reveal it now. When we uh, started the church about five months into it, we were already at the Hudson Valley Hotel and Conference Center. We just didn't fit. We needed room. We had to expand. And so we were looking and looking and looking. Finally, I won't bore you with the details, but I I get here. Holy Spirit shows me this building. I come, I call the owner, and I say to him, uh, man, I'm interested in the building. He says, come come meet me. So I go there, and he says to me, I just got to let you know before we start talking, I have a $700,000 cash offer for this building. There's a, there's a gentleman who's retiring from the NYP, he just retired, he's a high-ranking official, and he wants to purchase the building cash, $700,000, because he wants to turn it into a fine dining restaurant. If you look around here, that's starting to happen here a lot. And so he had vision for this building. And so he says to me, so, with that said, 700000 is the minimum, how much money you got? I said to him, sir, we don't have $700,000, I can assure you of that. Watch the favor of God. He says to me, don't tell me you're one of those guys, man. I said, what are you talking about? He says, I've had bad experiences with people of faith. I said, I bet you have. There's a lot of fruity, flaky, and nutty people out there. Bunch of granola bars. But I said to him, but that's not us. And then he asked me a question that I wasn't expecting. He says to me, what's your vision? And I said to him, sir, I believe that we are the people of God and we are called to be a part of the body of Christ in this city. That we're called to serve people and help people make a personal connection with God, not through anything we do, but simply the word of God. I believe that we're called to create a space and an environment where people can grow and mature in the things of God amongst one another. That we can teach each other, that we can live life together, that we can share experiences together, that we can grow and I believe that we're called not just to connect within, but I believe that we're called to connect without and that we're called to be the, the results. We're called to be the light. We're called to bring the change that's necessary, not just in this community, but wherever we go. Yes. And I begin to just paint a picture to him of something different. And he says, he says to me, hold on a second. And he picks up his phone and calls the guy. And he says, yeah, I know that uh, you were going to be calling your lawyer and I, I told you that I was going to be calling, but listen, all, all the deal's off. And I could hear the guy, what? What are you talking about? And he says to the guy, I'm committed to a church. To lease us the building. It's the favor of God on the people of God, ladies and gentlemen. That's the favor of God. That's the favor of God. God. See, that's not just my story. That's not just our story. That's your story. You're favored of God. And wherever you go, you carry the blessing of God. But we must walk in our position in Christ. We must must understand that. And so, getting back to the story, the Bible tells us that not only was Joseph blessed and prospered, but Joseph was a good-looking dude, man. And so, according to the story, the Bible says that Potiphar's wife laid eyes upon him, and she said, ooh, child, things are going to get easier. And she was like, "Mm mm sucker, sucker, quack, quack. Boy, if you, mm. (laughs) and she starts checking him out, and then she starts kind of just pursuing him and seducing him, and Joseph, the Bible says, continued to fight off her her seducive ways. But one day, she corners him, and nobody else is in the house. It's just her and Joseph, and she says to him, you're going to lay with me today. She probably said it a little bit more explicit than that, but anyway, th- that was the point. And Joseph goes, no. And, and so watch, watch how he responds to her in, in Genesis 30, 39 verses 8 and 9. He refused her. He says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he owns. He has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Watch the focus and how Joseph was conscious of his position. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Amen. Joseph's love for the Lord and his confidence in God served as the foundation for his life. He was in position despite the conditions around him. And so as the story goes, this woman corners him and she thinks she's got him. And Joseph pulls away from her and as he's pulling away from her and running from her, she gets a hold of his robe. She tears it off. The Bible says that as a result of this refusal, Potiphar's wife comes up with a plan. She goes to her husband and she brings him the robe and she says, that, that slave of yours, Joseph, he tried to take advantage of me. And here's his robe to prove it. I tore it off of him as I fought him off. The Bible says that Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. Again, it was seen that Joseph is at an all-time low. But watch what the Bible says in Genesis 39, verses uh, 21 through 23. While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Let me just pause right here for a moment. It's possible that there are some of us here today that while we're free in Christ and we believe that we are new creations in Christ, we're still in our own prison caged by condemning thoughts. We're still somehow subscribing to an old mindset. And what I want you to see is that Joseph found himself in a prison, but while in the prison he was free. Watch why. It says, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Listen, we learn a valuable lesson from the life of Joseph here. That our position is not subject to our present conditions. But listen closely. Our conditions are subject to our position as new creations in Christ. I want you to consider what that means. That while everything could be falling and crumbling around you, be all around you in life, your position in Christ is not subject to those conditions. But those conditions must change when you walk according to your position as a new creation in Christ. Notice that the Bible says the new is here, the old is gone, the new is come. And you can bring that new into every circumstance, even those old situations. And so eventually, because I don't have time and I'm wrapping up here, Joseph ends up getting out of prison. He gets another dream from God, a dream that brings a message to Pharaoh of a famine that's coming to Egypt. And he tells Pharaoh how to avoid uh, the people of Egypt and the world, really, uh, at that time, starving. And so the Bible says that Pharaoh elevates Joseph. He says, I know that you're in prison, but I got something better for you. I'm going to make you the second in charge in the world. How could you say that, Pastor Jose? Because Egypt was the reigning empire of the entire world at that time. He became number two only Pharaoh himself and so he eventually gets out of prison and what we find throughout Joseph's life is that continually despite the conditions his position with God ensured that he excelled and he rose to the top always 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 now you might be at a point where at this point maybe you're going wow you know what I never saw God that way. I never saw myself that way. But in the back of your mind, you're still thinking about something that's still there. You're considering something that's still lingering. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's loved ones. Maybe it's people that that are very near and dear to you and and, and they, they claim to hate you. They reject you. They push you away. Maybe it's a painful past. Maybe it's going through a traumatic experience at the hands of another person. Whatever that is, I want you to realize that there's good news for you. See, Joseph also had that lingering as well. Let me me show you. Remember in the beginning where it says that his brother, the beginning of Joseph's life when we were introduced to him, it says that his brothers hated him. They envied him. Right? They rejected him. Man they were going to kill him. He didn't know that. He he didn't know how bad it could get until he came head on with that. And then they end up selling him to slavery thinking that they're doing something good. That somehow what they were doing was right. But the truth is this that the Bible says that there comes a point in Joseph's life when he's number 2 in the kingdom that he comes face to face with his brothers. And the Bible says that his brothers didn't know who he was. And Joseph sees them. And it says that he was moved to tears. Joseph realizes that the dream that God had showed him so many years ago was coming to pass. And it wasn't about them bowing down to him because he was better. Listen, in the midst of this story... The hate of his brothers and the state of their broken relationship finally comes to a head. And what we see through the life of Joseph is that the favor of God restored, renewed, refreshed a love so strong that it not only united them as brothers, it not only brought this family back together, but it became the catalyst for the people of God to increase and multiply in a foreign land under the blessing of God for years to come. Why do I share that with you as we're closing out here today? Because I want you to realize that there's no condition that can't be changed by your position in Christ. None. There's nothing that can't be healed. There's nothing that can't be transformed. Nothing you've been through, no relationship that's broken is beyond the redemptive power of Jesus Christ in your life. You are blessed just like Joseph. Listen, we got to get to a point, and I pray that you're there today, where you can accept the truth that what God says about you is true. You are righteous, you are holy, you are accepted by God, you are blessed, and you are favored. And listen, you wear that robe, but you don't do it with pride. You wear it with an understanding that says, God, I know how much you care for me and I know my position in you. And you go and be the blessing that this world needs. May they see the favor of God upon your life. And may you be a blessing unto so many of those that have bought into a lie that believe that God does not love them, that God is distant, that God does not care. You are God's announcement. And you're positioned right where you need to be in Christ. Let your position in Christ Begin to change your conditions. Amen.